Okay, so I want you to keep on going. I want to keep on going, if I could. We, we are discussing this notion of reality and this incredible power of how we relate to our environment is based on what do we do through our conscious process of choice to frame the environment that we exist within. And when we align ourselves to the wisdom contained in the Torah, there is a transformation in terms of the way we interpret and understand and hence experience the events that occur around us. Everything takes on a completely different dimension. Needless to say, in order for this process to reach, reach its fruition, not only do we need to be internally aligning ourselves with that viewpoint of the ultimate wisdom, we also need to, on a basic level, know what the wisdom says. And hence, a person who remains ignorant of what the Torah has to share with us can be perfectly um, motivated and have the most incredible intentions but through no fault of their own, if they're trying their best, they will be deprived of true insight into the world around them. And uh, that would be sad, so we should try to avoid that. Says the Rav Desla in the final paragraph of the book, and I'm glad that you've all got your sheets in front of you. As we say, this is a textual share, and that's why texts are so important. So just keep on focusing on your text. Um, those of you who don't have a text in front of you, I'm just going to generate from my forehead through reflective technology of light a virtual text in front of you uh, that didn't work okay um, so good so just open up your text and you can see it inside just looking inside oh, any text just open up a random text that's fine and more than this more than this I think you may be able to share with him there you go. You go. You're, you're willing to share, right? Everyone? Yeah, yeah. He's willing to share. What is this thing called? We call dimion. What is it? What is illusion uh, or imagination? Oxford. The people that put together dictionaries, for example, the Oxford Dictionary. I think it's very significant over here that he didn't say the Webster Dictionary, did he? So I think there's a terse source to say that the origin of the English language is more authoritative in England, which makes sense because it is, after all, called English. <laughs> so, if you go to the Oxford English Dictionary, which is an authoritative source of what words mean and defining them, the way that the Oxford Dictionary describes the word dimion, now this may be a bit odd, because the, the Oxford Dictionary, as far as I know, doesn't speak Hebrew. So, Rav Desla quickly puts illusion. He understands that dimion means illusion. And how do you describe what illusion is, Asha? He actually describes it in the following way. That it will appear to ourselves something outside of us in a way that other people around us don't see it. So for example, if I'm looking directly at this unicorn over here, and none of the rest of you see it, it's just it's you knocking into its leg. So that's called, <laughs> that's called illusion. 
you see it. Yeah, Shmuel sees it. Shmuel sees it. I know it's. Why are you calling it an illusion? <laughs> 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 so if I if I see, or just sorry, I just mean to explain the whole thing over there. I know it was quite sophisticated. So I imagine if uh, Steve, this is for you. Are you comfortable in that seat, Barry? You don't change your seat. You good there? Good, good. No, I was worried you may not be comfortable in that seat. Um, so if I, for example, this is, let me explain to you, Steve, let me go over what I said, because it was quite complex. If I started speaking about this unicorn, see the unicorn over here? There is no unicorn over here, Steve, what are you talking about? <laughs> you literally, like, you literally, you literally, there's something wrong with your brain. Um, if I start speaking about unicorn over here, the reason why it's called an illusion is because no one else in the room sees the same thing as I do. If I start speaking about the bookshelf, that's not an illusion because you all see a bookshelf. Oh. <laughs> good, yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was excellent. So, so Jacob's got I'm just going to go over that one more time because I think it is a complex thing and I think many of us deal with these, 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 these kind of these fantasies and these phantoms which occupy our minds. So, so for example, I'm going to go now. We've done, we've done the, the unicorn. We've done the bookshelf. And now we're going to... Hi, hi, hi. Hi, Mr. Netanyahu. A really nice of you to, to come join us here today and take off time from, I'm sure, which is your busy schedule, being the Prime Minister of Israel. Um, so, you know, in my conversation with Mr. Netanyahu over here, which I think many of you... Um, Let's just chest check if this idea is going to cross well. Um, uh, Srili, so, so do you see Mr. Netanyahu? What is Mr. Netanyahu to me? An illusion. An illusion. And how do I know? This is, so that you should follow here. See, this could be complex. And how do, how do we know that it's an illusion? Because no one else around me sees the same thing as me. How do we know that... Avram's Aztec poncho is non-illusion, even though we wish it would be. <laughs> That's pure jealousy. It's pure jealousy. Spoke to him about, I want him to bring one back with me, but after the debacle when I wore my Ethiopian shirt to gym and my wife said she's going to disown me, my children said, I don't know who you are, when I said, hi guys. So I realized that my, my, my capacity to dress, you know, slightly avant-garde is pretty limited based on my association with the communities that I associate with. Um, even though I did think about, I did think about wearing the poncho and when people would say, what's that? I would say, what's what? I'm wearing a white shirt and then tease them about what illusion is all about. But, <laughs> so, so the reason why we can all have a good, good laugh over Avram's affirmation, both of his fashion sense and I think to some degree of his past and his, his, you know, his previous history as a, as, a, as the, the role he played in the temple of the sun god. Um, <laughs> I'm saying it's, you know, he's got a rich past, he has. Um, <laughs> he knows it's true. Um, okay, so here we go. You get it. Illusion is something which I see, no one else sees it. That's called an illusion. If everyone sees it, that's not an illusion. Good. That's the Oxford English definition of illusion. He says, Yeah, good gesagt. That's what he says, good gesagt. Rendered into English, well said, sir. Beautiful. 
The only time it's relevant to discuss what an illusion is, is when there's an external reference point that other people could have a way of processing through their senses. Illusion can only begin, the notion of illusion can only begin in a measurable, quantifiable external entity. External entity is the crucial word that we have to focus on over here. What's the difference between the illusion and the figment of the imagination? Excellent question. I think, let's weigh what he says. I think that may be, that may be what he's speaking about depending on what you define as a figment of your imagination. So let's just, let's just hold off there, Uri. Good work. Good work. You are my light. And when everyone agrees to the existence of a given entity external to ourselves, that's what we'll call reality. So we'll all acknowledge the fact that the, there are lights above us, that there are bookshelves around us, and that this table is made up of uh, accumulating various tables, putting them together, pretending to be one big table. And <laughs> we know the truth. We know the truth. That this whole thing could just be rented someday. <laughs> one little movement of our hands. And I think that's kind of so typical of the societal structure that, that we have around us. It seems so solid, doesn't it? But just one little shift and the whole thing just kind of <coughs> falls to pieces. How really strong is the social glue that puts us together? And how easy could it just so, so quickly dissipate? Something that we all have to, I think, consider. And since I do feel that I've captured you in a sense of dramatic repose, finding Sasha's hand a little bit disturbing to the nature and the vibe of what's going on, hoping that you'll just put it down, hoping in vain, hoping in just. Uh, I just want to say one, one, one. Something just a little bit more. I think it's really important. It's actually true. Imagine we'd be walking on the on the along the road, walking like just outside Shimla Tzadik, and there'd be a little kitten on the road, and. This cute little newborn was taking a few tentative steps and a car careened around the corner, not seeing it, and totally just killed the kitten. I'm sure many of us would feel a certain amount of pain and compassion for the little cat. Now, what would be if it would be a little Khalila Khalila, small little baby? probably be distraught and broken, somewhat traumatized. Why is it then when there are thousands of people, and amongst them I'm sure many, many children, who died a horrific death when the ground beneath them started to shake until they had nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. And one can only imagine the terrifying last moments of their lives and who knows how long 
they were buried underneath rubble before they finally breathed their last breath. How can we feel nothing about that? And how can we use some kind of arbitrary distinction of, oh, well, you know, they're in Turkey or they're in Syria to quell our human spirit? There's something extremely deadening about the lack of capacity to experience the pain of others. I think it was Reb Reuchem or the Alta Sabotka that there was once in Europe one of the local inhabitants of the town they were in in Lithuania was in a tragic event struck by lightning and died and there were people who weren't moved by his death and he looked at them and he said you know it says in the Torah one of the basic components is you can't murder which simply speaking is relevant to any human being and if the death of another doesn't have a major impact on you you may be dangerously close to killing yourself which is a jarring thing to say but something which really brings to the the four that we we live in a world and when things happen the world is we share this planet with other people and they may not be the people the closest to us and they're not our family they may not be our brothers or even our cousins but they're people and their hardships should be registered in our world So that's uh, just a drop of a tangent, just a bit of a, a sobering thought because I don't know how many people in the room actually felt any sense of pain about, I mean, I would imagine from those events you could construct thousands of terrifying tales of babies being separated from their mothers and the unfruitful search for a child buried underneath the rubble and maybe even hearing the cries and being unable to locate before the cries slowly but surely came to a suffocating end and we have to be exceptionally disengaged and cruel not to be able to have a modicum of compassion for the suffering of thousands they were all created people are beloved because they're created with and if you would have felt the compassion to a kitten to thousands of people Tangent. So defining an illusion as something which other people have access to and you claim something which no one else can see is there is only relevant to something which is external to ourselves. 
people have a capacity that normal people would have the capacity to understand. And when there's a collective agreement to the existence of certain things because we all perceive them together in a unified way through the utilization of our senses, and understanding or um, having a insight into something which goes against this principle is called illusion. But, says Rav Desla, but an internal experience, something that's happening inside of you, levad, alone, which is not quantifiably or objectively externally occurring. There's nothing else happening outside of me. There's something happening inside of me. The notion of illusion is completely inapplicable. I can't have an illusion of an internal movement of self because there's no external way of measuring that that everyone could agree upon. Because that deep understanding of my own internal movement is my internal reality and no more then you are relevant to it. Meaning as follows. The reason why we agree that we're in a, in a room right now with a window and bookshelves and a table or multiple tables put together is because collectively we all experience those. In other words, just like our collective experience, which is affirmed by the people around us, is a reality, in an experience where the only person that's privy to it is me, the individual, Whatever that experience is, is reality. No one can dispute the internal workings of the depth of my inner world. Because no one is privy to insight or access to what's going on there. And therefore, those movements are reality and not an illusion. An illusion is only something which can be objectively and externally ratified. Something which by its very nature is internal becomes real when I perceive it and experience it. This is earth-shatteringly powerful. Many people dismiss the internal world that we experience as being unreal and illusionary. But that's an error. Because illusion can only be when there's a possibility it could be perceived by others. And then they can say, what you're saying is here is not here. But something that no one else can see and only you can experience, your experience by its very nature defines its reality. And therefore our inner world is a rich reality. And when we start to develop the faith to look within the power and the belief that inside of me there is also reality, not only outside of me. There are subtle movements of self. There are deep perceptions. There are moments of profound love and insight. And those things are my inner reality and they are real. Just like the external world becomes real when perceived by everyone, the internal world becomes real when perceived by me. With the fees there. Hare Boru.
Shabbos A person that chooses the spiritual path. And he realizes that this is what will satiate his yearning for meaning, for power, for groundedness in life. When he experiences the internal movements of his spiritual connection, which are ripples in his inner self, these are for sure reality and cannot be defined as illusion. Experience teaches us that those people who are spiritually connected to Torah and to Avoyz Hashem demonstrate that the content, the spiritual content of their lives gives them incredible satisfaction. They have an incredible capacity and power, agility, and adaptability to experience life as a gift. And to deal with adversity in a way of a greatness of spirit and a triumph of the self. Not sweating the small stuff would be a radical understatement to a person who exists within the grandeur of a deep spiritual world that he has explored and navigated with inside of himself. And that's really our quest in our journey. To go within. To start to explore that world that the only person who has privy and entrance to is ourselves. And that world is rich and deep. And for many of you it may sound as if I'm speaking about something which is ludicrous. It's only because you have never ventured into this uncharted territory. And that your inner world, as rich and deep as it is, has simply got a gate that you have the key to and you've left it locked. A secret garden that you've never entered. A place of paradise that you've never perused. Enter into yourselves, enter into your souls, and you will discover a glorious universe of death and power and no sneezing. Bless you. Spence. Um, we talked a lot about different parts of itself. Is that wherever the situation is that may arise, wherever the feeling I may have, might just be one part experiencing that. Another part is being completely on, like, like hidden or like suppressed. Maybe that part has a whole different opinion. So really, whatever feeling I'm having could just be like, like I guess, one part of myself's reality, while there's other parts that have a completely different reality. And so what I'm saying is that, again, it's just, just I guess, like, um, like, like you're saying, like, within ourself, it's only up to us to experience reality as the external world. It's up to everyone around but I'm saying, does that mean that this one part that experiencing something is, is also just an illusion? And on top of that, does that mean that there's a point where we're able to, I guess, transcend all these parts and then get to this one actual self? Okay, your, your, your question is good and I'm going to answer you. But unfortunately, no one else in the room knows what you're talking about. So I'll answer you. The, the parts to the self are fundamentally narrow-minded 
and don't grasp the essence of the external reality clearly. And therefore, they bring messages that try to prompt us into behavioral patterns which are incoherent with the deeper part, with our deeper self. The goal of spiritual work, and this is actually another way of describing the process of exploration, is the more we discover the beauty of the self, the more we can create a dialogue to influence the parts to become collaborators and cooperate and create a unity in the system. Right now the system's in disarray. The parts are competing, warring against each other, creating whole systems of protective measures to isolate exiles so that their pain shouldn't spill out. In truth, those exiles need not bear their pain because the self has the power to deal with the pain that they're still holding. And therefore, when you heal the system, everything becomes integrated. And that's the job of our life. Our life is dealing with parts. It's like when I experience these, let's say like, right, so you have like these parts that are making these, um, or these emotions that are just coming up, right? And there's a part of me that experiences that, mm. right? So when we finally get to the point of hopefully one day, you know, to unite all these parts, mm. is it that all these parts are going to are making a simultaneous reality <coughs> through their simultaneous collaborative uh, experience? Or is it that now we're, gonna, like, like, we're actually just, like their unification is just us being our actual self? We need them, we need them. Because the self is removed from the visceral experience of life. So he needs to harness the parts to create the interface between the deeper, profound, unchanged, unchangeable perception to the experience of reality on the ground. So we can never get to the point where we're just this part that's experiencing us experiencing. The whole difference between our spiritual system and others is we don't seek to retreat back into the self and ignore the parts and wait for them to go away, we come towards them, integrate them, and get them to work together. Sasha. Um, So, where does creativity come to play into this, uh, given that you said an illusion is when you... when you see something that others do not see, like you brought up the example, you see like all of these tables are connected as if they're one, but if I said it was one table, then I, you know, then I, people would say it's an illusion. But the cre- creativity would come in is if, if I would say, oh, I see a bunch of tables and now I can build them into one table. So, and some people would say creativity can be harnessed for good things. So, how do you differentiate between an illusion which seems uh, like right. destructive versus creativity where I see something that, that is not there that others do not see? The difference is when you are being creative, you'll be able to rationalize and explain to others your creative idea and they'll be able to say, oh, I get it. Because ultimately it has a relationship to an external environment which has got certain limited properties. So if you come up with the idea that, you know, even though these tables are right now separated, but I've got this fantastic new way through magnetic forces to unite them and make them inseparable. So I say, really? I don't see how you can do that. Well, so this is how I'm going to do it. And if I'm intelligent enough and I can understand it, and if I don't understand it, it's not because it's not a reality, it's because I'm just not intelligent enough. 
So very often, creative ideas are dismissed. But that's because the other party isn't willing to listen to hear how they actually are a definitive expression of reality. So, for example, Galileo was put to death because he said that the earth revolves around the sun. And if the perception of the time was you needed to have a homocentric universe, which meant that the earth had to be the center of everything, that was heresy. So, even though he explained astronomically and scientifically how this had to be, it didn't help because no one had ears to hear him. So they said, just making things up. But in truth, it was them that were suffering from illusion, not from him, not him. Granted, definitionally, we said an illusion is when people... Like, granted, there is such a concept, I guess, of, like, collective illusion. Correct. But illusion is defined by what people experience what they what, what they, mm, so, they see in comparison to others so so we can we can we can refine the definition and suggest that if they are seeing accurately now is it mm-hmm. is it okay. possible that there'll be a group or a collective unit that will have a misperception not of they don't see the thing but they don't understand the operating mechanisms which underlie it then there's going to be lots of room for confusion uh, yes Srilkush Good mayor. Um, let's say there's a situation where it's like uh, objective reality, meaning to say it's, it's like 50 degrees Celsius outside of very hot, and someone says I'm cold. Stop. You said 50 degrees Celsius and very hot. Who says that's very hot? For who? For who? <laughs> For who? I mean, I agree, probably most people they experience as hot, and probably people who don't. I think at 100 degrees, everyone would experience as hot, yes? And he says I'm cold. That person says That means there'll be some kind of sensory disconnection to the way that his body's absorbing heat. So and it's not anymore an uh, experience, it's, it's more of like a... There's a malfunction in his heat absorption system. But he's still having that experience, for him it's still cold. Can I say there's a malfunction in my wife's... Um, Truth. I think you could say there's a malfunction in your capacity to operate it, whatever. <laughs> and thank you all for your. Okay, so.